Boo to all the cinephiles out there. Welcome to another episode of the Marquee Spotlight, coming to you from the gray and spooky, rainy Portland, Oregon. I am your host, Spencer Bailey, and I'm here with my co-host. The only thing she'll kill you with is kindness, Chelsea Burnett. Don't I sound terrifying? I really liked the the new intro, the boo. I wasn't expecting that. Hi, Spencer. We got to keep the spirit alive. It's Halloween, Chelsea. And that brings us to our spotlight topic of the day, horror movies. We're going to break down some of our favorite horror movies based on a list of subgenres. Uh, we are so excited. We are going to, I'm just, I've been waiting all week to record this. I am so excited and ready for this too. Let's. Let's get spooky. Uh, by the way, Chelsea, we've been going to the theaters again, and it's just so lovely. We saw No Time to Die. Uh, Lacey and I saw The Last Duel this weekend, which, by the way, good movie. And I'm so disappointed that it's doing so poorly. I know I've been hearing there's like quite like a West Coast, East Coast uh, critic divide on that movie. Like uh, West Coast critics uh, are being like especially hard on it, whereas the East Coast critics like are are appreciating it more. I'm not sure what that says, but I mean, you're here on the West Coast. You're you're a critic and you liked it. So um, I, I did. Lacey, yeah. Lacey really liked it, too. And uh, you think with all those names involved, the great Ridley Scott, Sir Ridley Scott. Matt Damon and Ben Affleck writing a screenplay again for the first time since Goodwill Hunting. Um, Adam Driver is one of the hottest actors, you know, in Hollywood right mm -hmm. now. You really thought it would take off. I think it came out at the wrong time. I think if it came out closer to Christmas, I think it would have done better. But it came out the same month as No Time to Die. Now Dune's out. Uh, the new Halloween, poorly reviewed, still making a pile of money because they were smart when they put it out. Yep. Uh, and I think Jamie Lee Curtis has been on that promotion uh, uh, trail for it. So you can always count on her to stand by Halloween and talk about how it's a story of trauma. I think there's a super cut of her out there. <laughs> That's like her go to line about Halloween. I got to see Dune in the theater recently. And um, I, I saw it in it was not an IMAX screen, um, but it still was a really fun movie going experience. But funny little story about it there is a moment uh with the sandworm that uh on the screen in the movie theater it was so dark you couldn't really even make out the sandworm so when we got home after the screening we actually pulled up the movie on hbo max because we knew we'd be able to get a better picture on our tv at home and fast forwarded to the sandworm scene so we could get every little bit of sandworm detail and uh, no regrets about that. That was what a time we live in where you can go to the theater and then watch the same movie at home in the same day. I know when we just talked about this a couple episodes ago, I'm still not used to it, but so glad to see people in the theater again. So glad these movies are making money. I'm Dune 2 has already been greenlit, which I don't think comes anyone's surprise. Uh, we will be doing a Dune episode. This is this is not the time for that. We have other things to talk about. Uh, speaking of which, Chelsea. I want to rant for a minute. Uh oh, all right. I had a realization this week. I was re-listening to our Bond episode, the last episode. I always go back and listen to the episodes a couple times just to make sure I don't want to go back and fine-tune anything, make any edits, make sure it sounds good in my car, sounds good in a Bluetooth speaker, you know, whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I got to the part where we were like, well, who can play Bond next? And we were bringing people up, 
you know, bringing up all these British actors because, of course, James Bond has to be British. It's just unthinkable that he's not British. It was almost unthinkable that Pierce Brosnan, an Irishman. Blasphemy. They asked Liam Neeson if he wanted to be James Bond, I think, in the 80s. And he said, no, no, no. I'm an Irishman. It should always be an Englishman. Mm. And he had a, you know, he had to save himself for the Taken franchise. Down the I, I love the first Taken so much. Oh, my God. Um, all that being said, I was just sitting there thinking about that. And then I went, wait a minute. Why does it have to be a British man? Why is it so sacred that it has to be a British man? And then I started thinking about this. All of the Brits that have come in and played our icons, our American <laughs> icons. Okay, nobody, well, nobody, here. nobody blinked an eye when two Brits played Batman mm. or two Brits played uh, Spider-Man. After, oh, yes. After Captain America, I'd say our most wholesome apple pies, American superhero, Superman. Oh, Henry Cavill, Englishman, played Superman. We had two Englishmen play Professor X. One played Magneto. Tom Hiddleston played Hank Williams. Daniel Day-Lewis <laughs> played Abraham fucking Lincoln. And David, oh, uh, I always mess up his last name, Oyelowo played oh, Martin oh. Luther King. Now, Englishmen can come in and play some of the most important fake people in American history. Coaching our roles, our American heroes. But my goodness, an American play James Bond? It's unthinkable. Why? Who says who? Couldn't you imagine Chris Pine playing James Bond? I think he could handle the accent. I think we need to find that perfect, like, uh, what's happening right now with uh, Gillian Anderson uh, from the X-Files and now just won an Emmy playing Margaret Thatcher on The Crown and she's on Sex Education. Amazing. She, we need uh, the male equivalent of her because she, while she's an American, I believe she has dual citizenship. She lived for a time as a child in England and I think attended Cambridge or Oxford or or did some kind of theater training in England after living. So she, I think, you know, can bridge that gap really well across the pond um, and she does a super believable British accent and also is American. So I got it. We, we need to find the male Jillian Anderson who can, who could fill this role. I think that would maybe be less controversial. Sorry. I'm, I'm no, no, need no. to be as angry as you. No, she, she does a killer British accent. She's been in a couple of, uh, British shows and mm -hmm. I remember one of them she was on. I had to like, I was like, is Jillian Anderson British? I had to like, look it up. We've had some we've had some Americans that can do a good British accent. Johnny Depp does a pretty good British accent. Carrie Elwes does a fantastic British oh, accent. Oh yes. We don't even have to go American. I'll go Canadian. I'll even take a Canadian. Ryan Gosling, you want to be James Bond? Oh, I think he's a little too Don't you dare. I'd no, I'd love him as like, oh my God, he's such a hunk in Blade Runner and I, I'll take I'll take him in those kind of drive those sort of roles. I don't know. I can't see him quite as a, a polished James Bond. In what that if way. a young Harrison Ford could do a British accent? <laughs> Can you see Harrison Ford doing any kind of accent work? No, I cannot. That's beside the point. <laughs> I, I I don't even care if an American plays James Bond. But all I'm saying is, why is it sacred? An Englishman could play Abraham Lincoln. But James Bond is too sacred for an American to play. This is this is classic England. They just <laughs> they they come in somewhere 
and go, they just plant their flag and go, this is ours now, but don't you come over here. No, no. Pip. Yep. I'm calling for Johnny it. Danny up. DeVito for James Bond. <laughs> From the penguin to James Bond. All right. I just had to get that out, everyone. Thank you for bearing with me. That being said, we're going to take a quick little break. We'll be right back to get spooky and talk about horror Ooh. movies. Gather round, boys and girls, as we tell you spooky stories to chill your spine. All right, enough of that. Chelsea, horror movies. I don't know how big a fan you are. The other thing is, Mm. there's a little bit of an age gap between us, so I'm really curious to hear Mm. what are some of your first memories of horror movies? What are the ones you kind of grew up with, the genres? Because it's going to be different for us, I think. Sure, yeah. Um... I'm, I would not say that I am the, the biggest horror fan. I, I definitely can get down with like a great scary movie night. Spent many a sleepover growing up with friends. It's like the go-to, you know. You, I, I think it's usually the fan favorite. Put on a scary movie. Of, of the horror genre, like the overall genre, I guess um, I tend to lean a little bit more towards psychological or even I would say I'm more of a thriller fan yeah, um, growing up uh, or even to this day but this this preparing for this episode has been great and it really has um, I think reinvigorated uh, what it was to love about horror movies especially when you're a teen and like growing up and how fun it is to get like titillated and scared like that so to answer your question with kind of what I watched, what I remember. I um, actually Silent Hill is probably one of the first horror movies, which is based on a video game. Right. See, this I, is the age gap. I yeah. figured you were going to start talking about like the early 2000s movies because mm-hmm. I was already out of high school and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And as we get into our list, you'll see I, I've highlighted a few movies that came out right around uh, Y2K. So a little bit after the new millennium. And I, Silent Hill, I remember just scared the shit out of me. And that is, I watched it at a friend's house at a sleepover. It was kind of hard to shake, um, shake that fear. I saw Silence of the Lambs. I was too young to see it when it first premiered, but I remember that being probably one of the first quote unquote prestige horror films that I, I really love. And, um, uh, and I do want to just shout out also, there was something called FearNet. I'm not sure if your cable provider had this growing up, but Comcast. Oh, I remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I remember it. Yeah, that was um, that was a big one. And I actually, I give FearNet a lot of credit for introducing me to some kind of obscure horror films that may not have been on my radar otherwise if I didn't just like scroll through the options and was like, oh, this is free. Okay, let's tune in. So, but yeah, you should talk about what, what are you for some of your first horror memories? Oh, sure. And and same with you. I've never been a big horror movie fan. And I think when you're a horror movie fan, you're like all in. And you have a horror movie memorabilia in your house. Oh, yeah. And you know all the B movies. And that is just, it's just not me. I've just never been a big horror fan. However, this time of year rolls around. I do like watching scarier movies. It just, it's, just feels right. 
uh, and as I've gotten older and I've, I've, my appreciation for movies has expanded over the years, um, obviously, it, it's always fun when you find a horror movie that has like substance, right? Mm-hmm. Like you brought up thrillers and Silence of the Lamb, which I don't know if Silence of the Lamb is a horror movie, but it, it, it often gets brought up in that category. It's the one horror movie that has won Best Picture, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, yeah but i will say even as a kid i remember so my dad does not like stuff like that he he always says he likes movies with some verisimilitude so uh he does like star wars but like i cannot get him to watch lord of the rings he doesn't like he doesn't like fantasy he doesn't like any of that stuff and when when we think about horror movies the kitschy stuff he yeah he scoffs at that stuff but i will never forget as a kid somebody brought up the original halloween and he was like oh, that's a good movie. And I was like, what? You? Really? So that made me really intrigued to watch the first Halloween, which is a, it's, it's a, it's a really good movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it was John Carpenter made some really smart choices that inspired movies that are still coming out right Absolutely. now. Um, Absolutely. So to be totally honest with you, as a kid, you know, I was born in the early 80s, so I do remember the 80s, but, you know, really coming of age in the 90s. I remember the golden age of slasher films and and the uh, the famous faces of horror movies when they were like in their prime, and they all scared me to death. <laughs> and I'll tell you if if I can interject, maybe to highlight our age difference, that I remember going to my local theater and seeing the posters for Freddy versus Jason, and I, I saw that opening day. By the way, <laughs> I didn't. I really didn't know those characters. Like I think I kind of knew somewhat about them but like to it goes to show that that was kind of my introduction seeing a freddy versus jason poster to be like oh okay nightmare on elm street and friday the 13th yeah well so i can even tell you the I first time well so a couple things i remember being a really little kid and there was a nightmare on elm street tv show and i remember commercials for that would come on and i would that would kind of creep me out but the first time i remember really being scared was my mom was reading the paper and the movie advertisements were out and like the second child's play movie poster was there with Chucky's Mm. face. And I was like, what is that? And mom was like, ah, it's a stupid, scary movie. But I just kept looking at Chucky's face (laughs) and I was terrified of Chucky for like my entire childhood. Now I've, I've seen clips of the, you know, it's satire. It's whatever. Same with Freddy Krueger. I was really scared of Freddy Krueger as a kid, but Chelsea, oh my God, those movies are hilarious. This weekend, Lacey's like, I've never, she wanted to watch a scary movie. And she's like, I've never seen the original Nightmare on Elm Street. I was like, oh, we should watch it. You should see it. It's a, you know. I mean, young Johnny Depp. Young Johnny Depp. It's, you know, it really is a cool idea. And it's just, you know, it's like a iconic horror mm-hmm. movie. We should watch it. And I just forgot how many parts in it are hilarious. And so Lacey was like, they're all on HBO. And so Lacey goes, let's just watch the next one. Friday, I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 is so funny. I was literally, like, laying on the floor, <laughs> rolling around, dying laughing. And I was like, why was I ever scared of this guy? <laughs> Freddie, I, I think what is so smart about, and I think you just you had just mentioned the concept of it and, and the way that they were able to pull it off, was, was really well done with some practical effects of what it's like to be stalked in a dream. Oh, sure. Like dr- nightmares. What's scarier than a nightmare? We all get them. Like, and to think about a nightmare actually coming to life or getting, you know, dying inside your nightmare. Whatever, well, and they got but... more more creative through the years because, mm-hmm. you know, the first one was pretty low budget. It was 
New Line Cinema's first movie. All mm-hmm. the money was riding on it. And the scariest they could get was Freddy going, watch this, and cutting his own fingers off. By the time he got to three and four, like, he was turning into things and eating people. And so, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, yeah, what a what a really neat idea. Wes Craven, I mean, mm-hmm. as we're going to talk about, you know, just a brilliant, brilliant mind for that stuff. I will say the one I was never scared of was Friday the 13th because Jason just looked so cool. Like when you're like a little boy and like you see this dude with like a hockey mask, that guy looks cool. And so every Halloween on AMC, they would run like the marathons. And me and my friends would watch all the Friday the 13th movies because we weren't scared. We were like, get him, Jason. What creative way is he going to kill the next person? I have a, a fun fact um, as we're talking about these classic monsters uh, in horror. Um about Halloween and uh, Michael Myers and the mask. Do you know the story about the mask? Oh, absolutely. Wears, I'll let you it, tell it. That it was uh, was just a cheap Star Trek uh, Captain Kirk mask, William Shatner's face, like based on his face, uh, that they were able to manipulate and turn into the the face of Michael Myers that we know today. But what I recently found out was. Apparently, they just disposed of the mask after they were done filming. And they say they could never really recreate it the right way. And I I heard that today. And I was like, really? And it made me go look up all the other Halloween movies. Jason, or um, excuse me, Michael Myers from all the other Halloween movies. And yeah, the mask is different every time. And a few of them look absolutely terrible. Like Halloween 4, it's like, you guys couldn't do any better than that. After you made a movie he wasn't in and you brought him back and it's the worst mask. Which Halloween is it that has Buster Rhymes? Uh, I believe that that is Halloween Resurrection, which came out in like 2002. Okay. And uh, uh, proceeded H2O. Okay. I remember uh, watching that with my friends in college. and we... Shockingly, not the worst Halloween. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't too bad. Oh, um... it's awful. It is truly awful but the curse of michael myers which came out in the mid 90s with a young paul rudd is like you all just were on set and you saw this movie happening and nobody stood up and said (laughs) we have to stop but you know we got buster rhymes in that movie saying i think trick-or-treat motherfucker so uh that's pretty great it's almost as good as when ll cool j said you killed my bird to the shark in deep blue sea ll cool j in uh, halloween h2o oh really okay I'm happy to hear you made another movie after Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he made it oh. first. <laughs> okay. Uh, acting icon, LL Cool J. Mm-hmm. Ladies love Cool James. <laughs> All right. So the way we're going to do this is we've got six subcategories we've each picked a movie for. Those categories are slasher killer, gore, or comedy. We could pick either one, the gore category or comedy category. Sci-fi horror, psychological horror, monster, and paranormal horror. And we're going to start with the old classic, Slasher Killer. Chelsea, what was your selection for this category? Oh, well, I'm I'm actually really happy I can go first in this category and to kind of kick everything off because I recently saw the film Black Christmas, the original one. I think it's been remade a, a couple of times, but the original, uh, it's a Canadian like independent film, uh, came out in 1974, and it is credited as being like a major inspiration for the slasher genre. There actually is a really interesting ringer um, article that I found where it it, um, does like a lot of side by side of um, stills from Black Christmas and Halloween to show what an influence it had 
on on Halloween, and I I think there's some strong parallels to um, to Scream as well. Um, but uh, to have you seen Black Christmas, Spencer? So no, this is this is the one movie on both our lists I did not get a chance to watch. However, I am familiar with it. Mm-hmm. I am also familiar that it was remade within the last twenty years, yeah. and it was poorly reviewed by critics and uh, the audience. Yeah, I think the remake, um, the most recent remake I was reading about, I think there, there, I, I did not get around to seeing it, but I think it may have slipped into trying to be a little bit too, pee, uh, make too many like uh, feminist, like it really leaned strongly into like, we're trying to make a very like feminist critique horror film. And I think in in the process maybe lost some of the fun of what a horror movie can do that is a really clunky way of of saying that and i probably shouldn't even say anything because i haven't seen the movie but we're talking about the original here it has a very iconic image very iconic poster of a girl in a rocking chair with a a plastic bag over her head i'm gonna not try to give away too many spoilers because i really hope if our listeners haven't seen this movie that they seek it out it uh basically follows these sorority girls um as it's like leading up a week or two before christmas their christmas break has started um for school but they haven't not all of them have left the sorority house yet um they've been receiving these obscene phone calls um in their in their house and um they're being stalked by the person who is leaving the obscene phone calls and uh, the movie has an incredibly thrilling, uh, unsettling opening uh, where it's point of view of the stalker, the killer, um, as he's you are watching him enter their home a- after he's looking at them through the windows. And I, I think that um, what really spoke to me about the movie was it took off when there's a couple there's a couple um, other side characters like one of the main a- uh, actors in the film, her uh, boyfriend. They're having an issue in their relationship, and there's this question of could he actually be the killer? Um, there's uh, I I think it just the the way that the camera moves itself. I think just is super unnerving and really puts you just puts you in this like horrific uh mindset as as you're going along and i guess it being just juxtaposed against like a christmas cheery holiday is uh makes it it packs an extra powerful punch um i i really really enjoyed watching black christmas i thought it was a cool pick jels i i you know i didn't i like i said i didn't watch it but slasher killer you could have done with one of the obvious boring picks and you pulled one out of nowhere and you're right it it is more influential than people realize most people aren't even aware of it so good pick okay and just a little fun tidbit that the director um his name is Bob Clark. He also directed A Christmas Story. <laughs> so Wow, really? Um, yeah, which I love that film. And I think it's it's super well directed. So this guy has a definite vision. And I guess he likes making movies set around Christmas time, too. Perfect. All right. So for my slasher killer choice, uh, we've already mentioned it a couple times, but I picked Scream. 
Tatum, just get in the car. Hello, Sydney. Uh, hi, who is this? You tell me. Well, I, I have no idea. Scary night, isn't it? With the murders and all, it's like right out of a horror movie or something. <laughs> Randy, you gave yourself away. Are you calling from work because Tatum's on her way over? Do you like scary movies, Sydney? I like that thing you're doing with your phone. Uh, when I think of Scream, I just think the 90s. It's great pick. Yeah, I was, I was the perfect age for this. I was in middle school when Scream came out, and it was all anybody could talk about. And I, when it was in theaters, and then it came out on VHS, it was on all the movie premium movie channels, and everybody passed it around. Everybody had seen it multiple times. It was an absolute phenomenon, and it was for for a lot of reasons. And most of the ones people know, and maybe maybe you haven't seen Scream, but I'm about to take you through a crash course. Drew Barrymore, her career is starting to pick back up. She's starting to become a big name again because she had a you know a troubled childhood after ET and. Um, she's on the movie poster. She's in the trailer. They got her name front and center. Well, she's in the open in the movie gets brutally killed mm -hmm. and that's it. She's not in the rest of the movie. Brilliant move. That opening scene is absolutely incredible. Lacey and I watched scream this weekend as well. She'd also never seen that. I'm oh my shocked. gosh. I'm shocked. I, every time I watch that opening scene, I'm just like leaning forward, eyes open it's just it's brilliant. It's yeah. so amazing. And also shockingly gory. Like mm -hmm. both the, her and her boyfriend, and it shows their intestines, the guts mm -hmm. hanging out of their stomach. In 96, we had never seen anything like that. We saw the the goofy gore from the 80s with rubber heads getting smashed and buckets of blood, but not actual innards mm. dangling. It just the other imagery of She's her mom's picks up the phone and you she's her voice is too raspy and to call for them and and oh it's brilliant it is I think it's so well like staged and um it's paced really well and as like a girl who grew up with some with like a couple acres around my house like it was scary to think about who could potentially see me from outside when it's dark, like with all the lights on in the house and scream like taps deep into that fear. And it's like the scariest, darkest places your mind can go. Like it goes there. I mean, it, you're seeing entrails like when, when Drew Barrymore dies. <laughs> right. And I mean, there's just a lot of smart, small choices. Like I was kind of surprised. I didn't remember how many people, really kind of push the killer around and like mm. punch him and he falls. But then you got to think these are, this is not Michael Myers. These are two idiot high school guys killing people. So yeah, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to get pushed around a little bit, but uh, you know, Nev Campbell was on TV and now she, she's a huge star. Courtney Cox, mm. you know, the middle of friends, I think, right. She was in yeah, the middle of friends. Right I now. think so. Yeah. David Arquette's career took off there for a little bit. He, he was a huge sensation beginning of Rose McGowan, who has one of the coolest death scenes uh, up to that point. We were all, you know, sh a twist ending. Jamie Kennedy. Jamie Kennedy uh, before they knew who he was. Would, would, would we have had the Jamie Kennedy experience if not for the movie? I or, don't know. I, I don't know if you were a fan of that show. I was, but. Uh, he's funny. Some of his stand-ups are funny. What was that movie he made? The Malibu? Malibu's Most Wanted. <laughs> uh, underrated comedy. 
underrated. I'm just going to say that. But Scream was, it'd be, I think people were kind of like cooling on Wes Craven too. And he just comes right back Don't out. Sleep on me. Uh, it, it just, it's such a cool movie. It's still, I just watched it. It's still really good. You know what's going to happen. And it's just, it's paced well. Music choices are good. The only thing I think I would change is the principles, the Fonz. Henry Winkler, oh. and it is so distracting. Mm. I don't know what they were thinking. But yeah, that's my slasher pick. If you've never seen Scream, like, you need to get on that. Mm-hmm. Stat. All right, so for our next category, we're going to do the gore or comedy category. I think we both picked horror comedy. Uh, Chelsea, what was your pick? Yeah, my pick is Drag Me to Hell by Sam Raimi. Uh, this movie came out in 2009 I did not see it when it first came out my um I guess I can stop saying my husband I think everyone knows who Micah is now if you've been listening uh Micah uh introduced me to the Evil Dead, which was Sam Raimi's first film. And uh, I was already a huge fan of his Spider-Man movies, but I don't think I had like put the pieces together about like what Sam Raimi was all about, what was his filmography until I, I really met Micah. And then um, we, we put on Drag Me to Hell. Micah had already seen it, being a fan of Sam Raimi's, and um, had talked it up, and it really lived up to the hype. I think Sam Raimi has, like, a total, like, he's he's stayed true, like, watching Drag Me to Hell again, and and there is this, this kind of, like, gypsy-like character who casts a spell on the Alice and Loman character who's like works in a bank who won't give this lady a loan just terror and chaos ensues because of that and this old woman casts a spell on her and there is a very you can find the clip um in its entirety on youtube i just watched it today of uh the old lady stalking the our our young protagonist to her car and at one point, her teeth come out, and she is gnawing on her face, on on Alice and Loman's chin, essentially, with drool and all the other disgusting things happening. Like, Sam Raimi's not afraid to go there. He did it in The Evil Dead, and it's just kind of – it was so cool to see this horrific-looking old woman who re- resembled the demonic-looking women in Evil Dead. And I'm like, wow, this guy just – has a true vision and is stuck to it over the years. I'll I'll also just say and drag me to hell. I mean, I I think that um it is one of like it was probably one of the times uh one of the films that Justin Long made at his peak. And I kind of miss that guy. I don't know, it's sort of comforting to go back and rewatch that and be like, he has what not happened been to around, Justin has Long? He? Yeah. He was on like every other movie and TV shows. Mm-hmm. And he he could just do, was not every guy, like yeah, a boyfriend. He, could, he yeah. could do serious. He could do funny. Um, I haven't seen Drag Me to Hell, the whole thing, but I've seen like bits and pieces, and in, including the ending, which we won't tell you what happened. It's, <laughs> it is, it's a cool ending. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, Sam Raimi is, he's just one of the most talented act, uh, directors we've had uh, over the last few decades. And yeah, he's, his horror 
has a, has a look to it. It does. And uh, he really likes to go for excessively grotesque. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I just feel like he has a real um, m- like master of camera movement. Like I, I feel that when I'm watching one of his movies, like he just moves the camera in really inventive, um, but not overly distracting ways it like enhances the writing and like the acting and everything else that's happening it's like the camera becomes another character to me and in, in his oh in absolutely his so and i say that for spider-man i say it for evil dead i definitely I say for evil for, dead yeah, i say it for drag me to hell um yeah. so uh I, I think Drag Me to Hell is also just uh, pretty. It's uh, for as ugly and horrific uh, as it is at times. Uh, I guess I should say this is our horror comedy category. It's very, very funny. It, it does have a, a sense of humor about itself. It's also a very pretty movie. I think it's got some uh, beautiful, like, pop color, like, cinematography about it. So Yeah, I remember when it came out, people were excited because... You know, he'd been doing the Spider-Man movies, as you said, and everybody kind of wanted me to get back to horror. And so he came out and everybody was like, what is this movie about? But it's it was reviewed very, very well. Mm. Audiences that saw it love it. Sam Raimi fans really liked it. And like I said, I think the way it ends really got people talking. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't go wrong with Sam Raimi. And that leads us to your pick. I also pick Sam Raimi. <laughs> uh, my pick is Army of Darkness. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. It's a 12 gauge double barreled Remington, S Mart's top of the line. You can find this in the sporting goods department. That's right, this sweet baby was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Retails for about $109.95. It's got a walnut stock, cobalt blue steel and a hair trigger. That's right. Shop smart. Shop S-smart. You know, I I actually saw, believe it or not, even with my age, the first Sam Raimi movie I saw was the original Evil Dead. I was at uh, a friend's house with a bunch bunch of people, and somebody put on the Evil Dead. And I couldn't, even then, I couldn't figure out. I was like, is this supposed to be scary and it's inadvertently funny? And I'm still not sure with the with the original Evil Dead. I'm still th- I I think it's so low budget use of claymation. I I don't know if Sam Raimi meant it to be as funny as it was because it's hilarious. The first Evil Dead, we were like dying laughing. Uh, so then he, he does Evil Dead Two, which is it, so weird. It's it's like a redo. It's not a sequel to the Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. It's a redo and it just gets right into it. There's no build up like the first one. Yeah. But there's definitely intentional comedy in Evil Dead 2. By the time you get to Army of Darkness, which is really Evil Dead 3, that the wheels are off. Yeah. It is a full-blown comedy and I remember the first time I saw it, it was on TV and it took me a second to realize it was a continuation of the Evil Dead movies. And I was so confused. I was like, what is this? Like, it's creepy. It's still scary. But my God, it's so funny. It's so funny. Yeah, I think it, I think because of the time, the time traveling element to it, um, uh, it I, I kind of associate it with Bill and Ted in some ways, where just like this person is like plopped into like out of they're out of eight out of the 80s 
into or the early 90s and into these like medieval kind of times and uh there's there there is a lot of hilarity that ensues because of that right and i like that they flesh out this world because you really when you watch evil dead and the whole thing with the necronomicon book and then the the words and all the different stuff well they flesh out what the book is they flesh out the deadites were back in the medieval ages um it, it then the ending it's hilarious mm-hmm. back in smart hitting on bridget fonda hail the king baby like it's it's just so much fun i would actually tell people if you're not a huge horror movie fan you don't really need to see the first two evil dead to watch army of darkness no, i mean if I you just want to have a good time and laugh just just check it out. It kind of gives you a recap at the beginning of the movie anyway. Yeah, I guess if if you just want more time with Bruce Campbell and the Ash character, I would say like to maybe, I guess, but a little better understand his character's psyche and Army of Darkness, but it is not necessary to see the first two other than just go see the first two. Also, The Evil Dead was remade a few years ago, and I think it was a really cool Really? Remake. Yeah. I everybody seemed to hate it. I, I'll be the one person I'll die on that hill saying maybe the movie in its entirety was not perfect, but there was a very, very, very cool scene in the movie that I really liked and I would like to rewatch that movie sometime. It's so interesting they did uh, I mean the Evil Dead movies are so popular and I was just so curious that they remade it in modern times without Sam Raimi. I just thought that mm-hmm. was odd. The only thing I know about it is the post credits. You get a quick little shot of Bruce Campbell saying, groovy. <laughs> but yeah, if you like the Ash character, of course, the Ash versus the Evil Dead TV show ran for a couple couple seasons. And I, I'll have to look this up again, but I'm pretty sure after the success of Freddy versus Jason, there was talks of a Freddy versus Jason versus Ash oh, movie. Oh, really? And that never came to be, but that would have been very interesting. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, our next category is sci-fi horror. Chelsea, what'd you pick? Okay, my pick might be a little on the like kind of skirting the line of is this super horrific or not, but it's my pick and I love this movie. I chose Signs. Move, children. Vamanos. came out in 2002 directed by M. Night Shyamalan but you probably didn't need me to tell you that this movie came out was probably one of those like right time right place for me um it also was like a staple in my family like dvd collection I think we put it on a lot there's a shirt from Eddie Bauer that Mel Gibson's wearing in the movie that my dad had and I thought that was super cool (laughs) so um if uh, for anyone listening is not familiar with the plot of signs, it's there's we're following um, a pastor who a reverend played by Mel Gibson priest. priest. He was a priest. He was a priest. Okay, thank you. The priest, the kind of priest that can get married. Um, oh well, yeah, that's right. He was married, but wasn't he wearing a priest collar? He he is wearing a collar, but and they all call him Father. I can't. I just don't know. He might have been Episcopal. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting off track. He's had a crisis of faith because his wife has died six months prior um, in a car accident. And he's, you know, he's left the, the, the priesthood. He's left the church. He's living um, 
on in his his same house on the farm um, outside of Philadelphia, of course, because it's M Night and he loves Philly. Got to stay true to that. And we're dropped in on this scene. Go Eagles. <laughs> yeah, go Birds. We're dropped in. He discovers that there's a crop circle in 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 his uh, cornfield, and uh, he believes that it's just some hooligans that are just playing some pranks. As the story unfolds, we're, we're meeting more and more characters. We're meeting his brother, played by Joaquin Phoenix, who is he tried to make a go of it in the minor leagues and it didn't work out for him. This comes back around. He has two children, his daughter played by an adorable Abigail Breslin. And uh, I think Rory Culkin um, is the son who are very, very, very talented child actors. Like they are definitely not um, annoying or like, uh, precocious in the all in the wrong ways. Like I just think they're supernatural. This movie, because of the supernatural, the f- but super, not supernatural. Not supernatural. <laughs> there are supernatural elements. So I'm sorry. I'm really going on and on about this. I just love, love, love this movie. I love the family that they create um, as as they're uncovering this mystery of what's going on with the crops. Okay. Here they find out there's actually an alien invasion, and um, it goes from there. There, they, there is an incredibly compelling, scary moment when uh, the world is now aware of this alien invasion. Joaquin Phoenix is watching um, some breaking news of a footage of a birthday party in brazil where these children are screaming because they've seen the alien and what the camera captures and i think that this was such what it's amazing what the filmmakers were able to do with the technology at the time to create these aliens where they made them just blurry enough but you could make make them out that they were it was just the it's the perfect scare I, I will also say that upon rewatch, this was probably like my 15th rewatch of this movie. I I forgot that there's quite a few like funny, funny lines. Like I think uh, it the 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 relationship Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix have in the movie is is really cool. There's also just some just some great small town like side characters. I love science. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, it's an interesting movie. I mean, I'm sure everybody remembers Sixth Sense comes out. It's a it's 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 just an incredible movie. And then he puts out Unbreakable, which is really good and entertaining. Signs was his third movie. And it was the first time people went, oh, okay, all right. Not it's, this person. Not this well. person. I I I will go to my grave seeing this movie's praises. I, I, I think it was liked for the most part. But I, I, think I agree with you were like, that people were losing. It was steam. not at the level of the first two. And I will say all the acting is quite good, as you were saying. You know, the both the kids and Walking Phoenix and one of the better acting performances by Mel Gibson, who mm-hmm. is obviously a very controversial figure, and some of his acting performances have also been quite controversial. Um, but but you're right. Like, that birthday party scene, you may hate the rest of the movie, but nobody denies that that scene is incredible. It's built up to so skillfully. It's like, the amazing. music, great score. Gotta say, uh, great opening credits. 
it, just the font choices. It's all just, it's just incredible. I'm going to shut up now. I'm sorry, Spencer. No, you're fine. <laughs> what I love about that scene is you know something's coming and you're just like, what is it? What is it? Oh my God, these kids are screaming. What is it? Oh, geez. Like it just happens. <laughs> and Joaquin's reaction yes. is like, so, uh, yeah. It, it's, He's repulsed it's, and you're mm, repulsed and we're all just, it's just, yeah. It's terrifying. Uh, so, no, it's, I'll allow it. It is creepy enough. It's sci-fi. Uh, weird twist ending. There's the one, blood. The one thing that hurts the aliens is water, and so they land on a planet that <laughs> is almost entirely made of water. But all right, cool. All right, so my sci-fi choice is a movie called Event Horizon. I've been listening to Distress Signal, and I am... Um... I think I made a mistake in the translation. Go on. I thought it said liberate me. Save me. But it's not me. It's liberate tutte me. Save yourself. And it gets worse. This movie was not well received, particularly when it came out. I think it has developed a uh, more of a beloved following mm-hmm. in years. It was directed by Paul W. S. Anderson, who you now know is the guy who created about thirty-seven Resident Evil movies, and he's married to Mila Jovovich. Uh, he was coming off of he directed the first Mortal Kombat movie, which is not terrible. It was one of the better video game movies we got. They wanted him to do. They made him offers for other stuff, and he declined them all to make Event Horizon. If you've never seen Event Horizon, when the movie starts, you're almost not even sure that it's a horror movie. Like, you wouldn't be expecting mm-hmm. it to be a horror movie, but it very quickly turns into basically Hellraiser in space. It does, yeah. That's a great description. Has the wonderful Sam Neill just coming a few years off of Jurassic Park, uh, the always amazing Lawrence Fishburne, and the seemingly always underappreciated Jason Isaacs, who I think is just a oh, great actor. Yeah. And I wish he got bigger parts more often. Is uh, it Jolie Richardson is the... Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, she's the, the, main, the main female yes. lead. Yeah. Um, so basically the story is Sam Neill is this guy that created this really amazing spaceship that had a uh, interdimensional or, or a, a quick traveling portal device on it, and it disappeared. Well, all of a sudden... A distress signal goes out. The event horizon is is not only back around where it disappeared, but a distress signal is emitting from it. So Lawrence Fishburne is the captain of a ship. They get Sam Neill because event horizon is his creation. They get to event horizon, and they slowly, little bit by little bit, find out that something horrible happened when the portal machine was turned on. Little things happen at first, people getting sucked out into space in brutal, gross ways. But then they are able to uncover more of the distress signal. And then they find a video montage that is essentially <laughs> mutilated people. It's disgusting. Mutilated people having sex with each other, people holding their eyeballs. I'm not even like. No, what that I, happens. <laughs> what I just said sounds awful, and I'm not even doing it justice. Like, this movie gets fucked up in a hurry. Um, it just starts as a sci-fi movie, and by the end of it, your skin is crawling. 
I do think Hellraiser is the perfect way to describe how what it turns into. I saw that movie in the last couple of years. I was really turned off by it. That was so disgusting. I did not like it. But I can understand its merits or whatever. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it's it's not The Godfather, right? But it, if you want a sci-fi, if you like horror and you want a sci-fi and, horror, it's a fun movie. And I like Event Horizon. I, I think that Event Horizon... Ha- is at a higher caliber than Hellraiser is, like not just with the talent that they have on the screen, but I also don't think it's as uh, gratuitous as uh, Event Horizon is not as gratuitous as Hellraiser. Yeah, is, so. Hellraiser is. It, man, it's been a while since I've seen the first Hellraiser, but it is just like never slows down <laughs> with being grotesque. Uh, but Event Horizon, I, I just remember it stuck with me for years. It it, it is fun, mm-hmm. like you said, great acting talent. If you like horror and you like sci-fi give it a shot i'll never forget when micah was trying to tell our friend alex to watch that movie and he was like yeah alex you've never seen event horizon and and alex is like no and he's like well you gotta watch it it's like the best stuff it's space and hell (laughs) yes that was there it is in a nutshell everybody apparently does not like their eyeballs Uh, everybody just does away with them (laughs) one way or the other All right, Chelsea, take a quick little break. Okay. Welcome back to our horror story corner. I'm sorry, everyone. That was (laughs) awful. Chelsea, our next category is uh, psychological horror. What was your pick? I, right on the nose, I picked Psycho. Alfred Hitchcock film starring Janet Lee and Anthony Perkins. Great Anthony Perkins. It's really a shame that um, his career was kind of killed because he was so good at playing creepy Norman Bates. What a what a way to go, too. Yeah. Poor guys married and acting and unfortunately con- contracted AIDS somehow. Mm. I actually d- do not know a whole lot about his personal life. I just had remembered hearing probably on another podcast along the line saying like that his career was pretty much cursed after this this movie because audiences could only really see him as Norman Bates but um but that's really very sad to hear that psycho drops you in i everyone knows the shower scene of course and that but i <laughs> When I first saw this movie, I was like, what is this Janet Lee like works at like she's like works at a brokerage or something in Phoenix or somewhere in Arizona. She gets her hands on some cash. Janet Lee's boss tells her to take it to the safe deposit box at the bank over the weekend um, to keep it in a safe place. Little rewind here. Really, the film drops us in on quite, I found to be a very sexy and kind of risque scene for probably the time. Agreed. They're lovers in a hotel room. Um, She has a boyfriend who is dealing with an ex-wife that's kind of hounding him. And it's 
It's causing a strain on their relationship. And then we get to her at her job. And you see that the movie starts off. It's it's super tense and scary throughout. But I think that there's different levels of tension and scary scariness. And starting off just with all those scenes of her driving, making these decisions of is she really going to do this? Is she going to take off with the money? And lo and behold, she does. She wants to start fresh. She tells the Norman Bates character later in the movie when she meets him that she's looking for an island, a, a private island that she could basically just disappear to. And who hasn't been there? Who hasn't had those fantasies after a bad day of just like, can I just run away from it all? I I found that to be such a relatable, just a, a great like kick send off or kick off to the story. So this this inspiration of her like journey to go travel, she has to her boyfriend lives quite a ways away from her. And so she has to travel overnight to get to where he lives. Um, and it, it causes her to have to shack up at the Bates Motel, which is this pretty desolate, uh, kind of just dark, scary. No one visits it anymore because it's been screwed over since they moved the hot, the, the main road. No one drives by. So then you're thrown into Janet Lee speaking with Anthony Perkins, Norman Bates character. And I think that they have some really very tender moments in co- conversation as she's learning more about his relationship with his mother and as you're hearing him having conversations which as the movie goes on you find it to be so unsettling and creepy that there have been two voices coming from the house but she is dropped in just thinking oh I'm in this weird kind of domestic dispute he's having with his mother then it leads us to after they have these conversations she says something I think she just goes a little too far with something she says and some advice she's trying to give him like you know there's more to life you can you can leave here you you your mother could be put in a home somewhere or whatever and it just it just ticks him off and we know what happens next then the shower scene which is you know people talk about how well like blocked out that scene is and edited and uh I'm not really going to say anything new about it other than I think what I just wanted to shout out why I really, really, really liked Psycho was uh, it surprised me how the movie started and how it sets the scene so early on in terms of an internal struggle that this this woman who we all know Janet Lee so well for being stabbed in the shower but it's like she has a really complicated and interesting story leading up to that and I really really want to highlight the scene that she and Norman have um in in the office as they're eating sandwiches and getting to know each other I I just I think it's just it's really quite a masterpiece right I mean that's that's one of the reasons it's it's such a well-regarded film I mean Janet Lee's famous death scene. I mean, you're like an hour into the movie when it happens. Mm-hmm. And, and full disclosure, this is, to prepare for this, this is the first time I sat and watched Psycho front to back. I'd seen most of the movie in in pieces, of course, and we all knew 
I knew all the key scenes. I know how it ends. I know the twists. I know all that stuff. But to sit and watch it in its entirety, you see why it was held in such high regard. On top of the the other brilliant things that, uh, by the way, Alfred Hitch- Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, some of my, you know, this is not my favorite Hitchcock movie. North by Northwest, Rear Window, mm-hmm. Vertigo, those are my favorites. But it's still brilliant. In 1960, there were color films. He did it in black and white, and it, it made a difference for for a number of reasons. Yes. But for 1960 to have the mother's decaying body, expo- you know, all oh. these things they did, it was very, I mean, it just, it just trendset everything. And you see why it was such a phenomenon. And to your point, yeah, it's just that first hour is, an, it's a different movie and it sets you up. You're almost, you're rooting for her and you get a little comfortable and you see them connecting and it's all to build up to her grisly murder, uh, but uh, did earn her an Oscar nomination. I and I I I think that she deserves it, and um, I just I, I I realize I spend so much time talking about the beginning, but I mean the the movie is incredible throughout. I, I don't just give up after the 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 stabbing because there's some there's some really thrilling like twists and turns that the story takes as they're as they're trying because it's like a crime on top of a crime. I just love all the layers because you have someone looking for her because she stole this money, but they're also trying to figure out what happened to her. And in the process, find out that Norman is a killer or his mother inside Norm, you know, his slip personality. (laughs) Um, And I, I, I'm not, we need Lacey here to help us. We need our part two of our, our mental um, illness in the movies. Uh, I think so she'd probably talk- pick, pick this apart, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I'd love to hear her thoughts on, especially the the monologue at the end of the movie when the investigator is like, I got it all down. And he's like explaining how Norman's mind works and when he slips into his mother and uh, whatnot. But um, it's... Uh, it's it's a classic. All right, good pick, Chelsea. We can't they can't all be sexy picks. Sometimes we gotta we gotta pick the obvious ones. Uh, well, that being said, my psychological horror movie pick is 2017 film by Darren Aronofsky, Mother. You killed him. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. They just want to see him. They just want to touch him, and then they. I'm so sorry. But we can't. We can't let him die for nothing. We can't. Maybe what maybe what happened could change everything. Everyone. What are you talking about? Some of you probably groaned as you just heard me say that. This movie was not liked by the audience at all. And I think the one thing we all heard was I didn't get it. So that intrigued me because, truth be told, I think up to that point I'd seen all of Arnofsky's films. I think I've never seen Pi. I need to, I need to see Pi, but I've seen every. Arnofsky is like the best director whose movies you only want to see one time. <laughs> uh, I really, you know, obviously Requiem for, your, Requiem for a Dream is a well-made movie, but it, you don't want to see it more mm-hmm. than once. Uh, I did really enjoy The Fountain. Uh, th- I, that I would watch more than once. Uh, but all of his other movies, you know, Black, Black Swan. Swan, I left the theater just felt gross mm-hmm. and wrestler you're depressed so i was so i was so surprised to hear so many people did not like mother it wasn't reviewed that bad it's kind of middling reviews 
So when I finally watched it, I enjoyed it. And I'm kind of surprised people didn't get it. Folks, it's the Bible. Like, that's what the movie is. It's it's the Bible. And I've, I, I explained that to a couple people, and they're like, what? And I was like, the second... I was a little confused at the beginning, mm. but the second he's caring for Ed Harris and I saw his rib was missing, I was like, oh, here we go. And then the rest of the movie makes sense because then Michelle Pfeiffer pops up. But what an interesting, direct, unsettling mm-hmm. way to metaphor the Bible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Filled with incredible acting talent. Oscar winner, Javier Bardem. Oscar winner, uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Oscar nominee, Michelle Pfeiffer. Oscar nominee, Ed Harris. Both of uh, Brendan Gleeson's sons are in the movie. Uh, Kristen Wiig is in the movie. And it just, it, it's two people that are metaphors for God and Mother Earth mm-hmm. living in a quaint home, being invaded by strangers until chaos ensues at the end of the movie. The and worst house guests of all time. Of all time. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about this movie. You just really got to watch mm-hmm. it. Experience it, I think, is a good, yeah. Yeah, you may not like it, but it is a psychological horror movie for sure. And if your religion is very important to you, you're probably not going to like it. But uh, I found a lot of truth in it, even if it was a little over the top. But Darren Ovnovsky is a very, very good director. I'm excited to see what he does next. And I really enjoyed Mother. I I think he is a... I- I think he is a very talented director and I think that he had something very direct, like you said, he wanted to say about, about religion. I was, I was just very gripped by, by this, even as it, you can't catch your breath. You, you really can't. And I, it's done on purpose. You can tell like it's, it's very, um, it's just so immersive, I guess. And like it uh, slaps you in the face with how um, it's it's just, it's so, the movie just gets, it's so tragic. And I think Jennifer Lawrence carries it incredibly well. And um, I think there have been movies she's been nominated for that maybe she didn't quite deserve it or the hype around but I feel like she should have had a lot more hype around her performance in this movie because I have a lot of respect for her and what she did in this I I, it's funny there's a big theme in horror films I've noticed of like I thought a lot about Rosemary's Baby for instance watching this of like a woman kind of being gaslit going crazy seeing all of these insane things around her and just feeling ready to scream but like no one's hearing her or understanding her and I I don't think that that's easy to play without seeming melodramatic and I I just my I tip my tip my hat to um Jennifer Lawrence for her performance in this movie because she had to deal with a lot of shit thrown at her yeah last thing I want to say about this film is he had tasked the uh, really wonderful composer who sadly had passed away too soon, uh, Johan Johansson, uh, he, he, he came to him to do a movie score for the film. And upon, I, don't, I can't remember if he'd completed the score or he was, he was done or almost done. 
he realized that the movie was much more effective with no music. And he went to Aronofsky and said, I really think you should just do this film without a score, uh, which to me is the score. It will be how, what a master of your craft to know when to step back. But I thought that was a really interesting tidbit about a very interesting movie. Yes. Thank you for picking it. I'm glad I finally got around to seeing it. All right. Next category, monster horror. What'd you pick, Chelsea? I picked The Descent. Which is another is one of those. Movie. Yeah, it was another one of those sleepover movies I I saw an, as a teenager. Um, the Descent is directed by Neil Marshall, and um, it came out in 2005, so I was 15 years old back then. Um, and I I rewatched it to prepare for this, but it's a movie that has never really left me. Like the f- first time watching it. A very small portion of the movie is dealing with the quote-unquote monsters, why I picked this as a monster movie. Um, these cave-dwelling, they were mute, mutant humans. Of, they've, they've evolved. These, they, they were humans at some point, I'm assuming, that have kind of turned into these like Nosferatu-seeming bat kind of just golem-like creatures that stalk these caves and leave every so often to kill um out in the nearby forest in Appalachia Appalachia um but uh what I so uh, you know watching it as a sleepover movie you're really grossed out by these monsters um and that's what makes it fun but re-watching it what I what I really like about it is the monsters that are not so obvious like the lead character named Juno, she's, I mean, she's pretty despicable in a lot of ways. Like, I'm not really spoiling anything here because it happens so early on. But like, um, our our heroine of the film, um, she loses her husband and her daughter in a really tragic car accident. But right before it happens, you're kind of like picking up on that. Her one of her best friends is probably having an affair with her husband, and because of that, the best friend can't even really stick around to help her friend grieve the loss of her husband and her daughter. She's being quite selfish. She's just definitely like only really looking out for herself. And But she ends up getting this group of friends together a year or so after the, the, death, the, the deaths uh, so that they can they can have this new adventure and and start fresh again but uh she ends up sabotaging them all because she doesn't even bring the freaking map when they enter this cave and you know all the worst things that could possibly happen do happen i i think i just really like the character development there there's quite a few women in this film and i think each of them are given um a strong viewpoint uh, you're you're able to kind of care about each and every one of them. And it's, you know, by the, the time those quote-unquote creepy monsters in the caves arrive, we're already, like, the scene has been set because we've already been dealing with, like, claustrophobia, the darkness, the, the wetness, the ickiness of these caves. Bones have been broken at this point. 
people have had to, there's been a lot of finger gripping on rocks and almost falling to your death. I think the descent is, is great because of not only the literal monsters, but it also, I think, taps into uh, the monsters that can be inside and, and, and the, the, your loved ones that you have to look out for and maybe not trust. Yeah, it's it's a really good movie, and it it really flew under the radar when it came out, and slowly people started saying, "Oh, you got to watch this movie," and it was more than just a straight to DVD or something like something you'd find in the bins at the department stores. Uh, I, I think it's most effective if you don't know anything about the movie. Like, if you have a friend come over, you're like, "You've never heard of this movie? We have to watch it right now," because, as you were saying, it just seems like a grieving woman and her friends try to reinvigorate their uh, adrenaline junkie ways. Mm-hmm. They're going to go spelunking. Things go wrong. They keep, they're they trapped in the cave now. Somebody's injured. they got to get out. And then halfway through the movie, they put on night vision goggles and see a creature standing right next to mm-hmm. them. And then you're just... It's a full-on monster movie. And if you don't know what's going on, it's, it's a shocker. Mm-hmm. But the movie's really well-made, really well-paced. Uh, there's no wasted time. Yeah. And uh, it's you're kind of gripping your seat and it's exciting. Absolutely. What's your monster movie? Well, I'm I had an obvious pick, but it's one of my all time favorite films. I I usually watch it this time of year. It's 1979, 1978, 1979, Alien. Ridley Scott's Alien. This movie is a masterpiece. It is an absolute masterpiece. And no matter how many times I watch it, I am just in awe of it. The build-up to everything, the set designs, the music, the introduction of Sigourney Weaver, the world-building, the the unease the famous chest bursting scene. I, I just could go on and on and on. The history of this movie is fascinating. Bringing in H.R. Giger, who's one of my favorite artists of all time, to design everything and create this universe that has grown into a massive franchise. I love the sequel. I love Aliens. Wonderful movie. Some people like that one the best. I won't argue with them. Aliens or Alien, an absolutely perfect film that I will never, ever get tired of. And it's right there in the title. There's your monster, the alien. Yeah, and some of it hasn't. Some of it hasn't aged well. There's that slow motion shot of the alien walking towards (laughs) one of the crew members that always makes you go, ah. But the first time you see the alien, no matter how many times I see the movie, when it's hanging up Mm. above... You know, he, he goes to get the cat and the aliens hanging up around the chains. I've seen the movie a hundred times. I can never look right at the alien until it moves. Mm. I, it's just, and then 
it drops down, rises behind him. I, oh, it's just, I love it. It's such a perfect movie. And I could not imagine being in movie theaters when it came out and not knowing about the chest burst scene. And then it just happens to you. Blew some minds. So that, I mean, it's hands down my monster pick. I love Alien. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know if, I, I can't really say much else that you haven't already said. It is a perfect pick. All right. Last category, paranormal horror. What'd you pick, Chelsea? All right. Bringing it back to 2002, I picked The Ring. Directed by Gore Verbinski. I will also say that Ringu, uh, the Japanese original film that came out in 98, is amazing and highly recommended. I'm just not as familiar with it. Uh, just The Ring, uh, starring Naomi Watts. It just, and also filmed uh, in the Northwest, um, just has a lot of uh, connection to me more than Ringu does. So um, I wouldn't be able to speak on that as much. But great movie, and I can totally see why and how it translated so well to um, American audiences. You know, Samara, everyone knows her, gotta pay respect. Creepy little girl with the long black hair. She's coming out of the TV. She's gonna get you. I think that this movie being PG-13 also, and, and for how freaking scary it is i don't know i just kind of like bow down to that like it's i think they were able to uh pull off some very crafty uh horrific elements with that constraint of a pg-13 rating it really again like a similar build-up to scream in the way that you're just kind of dropped into this pretty simple setting at home these two girls just hanging out talking and like this domestic kind of horror that can reach out to you through a videotape. It's uh, it felt it was very of its time. I mean, kind of as like media was evolving and uh, pop culture. I, I think the, the movie is just hitting in a, a lot of levels in that respect that it uh, the, the, the phone calls. Uh, I just think, um, it was all very, it's just very crafty um, in the way that you can't escape Samara and you can't escape this horror. I also just want to say that the, the, the infamous videotape that you watch that ends up, you know, in seven days later after you see it, you die. Um, there is some great, I mean, the editing done in that videotape alone, like, I don't know what they were able to do that makes it actually feel like there are there's someone living within the tape, which I think was the effect that they were trying to um, pull off because it's like this, it is haunted in a way. Um, I That's the best way I know how to describe it is that you just feel like you're, this tape is alive um, in a way. I, I, I love the blue, gray, greens of the cinematography. I think it all kind of plays in very well, again, with that kind of, um, with not only the setting of the Pacific Northwest, 
but also kind of it reminds me of like a Fincher music video, like for Nine Inch Nails or something. Like it just kind of like okay, we're 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 moving into these kind of grittier like the 90s into the early 2000s. I just think it's a cool piece. Uh, the the film itself is a cool piece of pop culture. So. Yeah, I mean, I remember when it came out and it was it was all the all over the place. Full disclosure, this is the first time I've seen The Ring <laughs> for this movie. It was just one of those ones that just escaped me. I, I knew all about it and I just never sat down and watched it. Well-made movie. I think Naomi Watts is a, an underrated actress. And I love Brian Cox. Anytime Brian Cox yeah. anything, I'm all on board. Uh, I love how the movie gets you. They, they like, oh, this girl was a victim. Oh, they saved her, and then you're like, oh no, this kid is the Antichrist. <laughs> yeah. Like it, this is like and pure that little evil. boy's face, her son is it, it's terrifying because he looks terrified when he's like, no, you shouldn't have helped her. Yeah, what there's were no you thinking? I know. Yeah. I would say my one gripe with the ring is everything kind of happened a little too easily. Mm. She'd get one clue and go, aha, I have to go to this island now. She's a great journalist. She'd get another clue and go, aha, <laughs> I figured this out now. I'm like, come on, lady. Like, you're really putting this together pretty easily. But it was it was a well-made movie. I, I, I think it took me too long to watch it, and I kind of knew a lot of the key stuff. So that fell a little fell a little flat for me but it's it's a well-made movie it's a good movie i see why it was such a phenomenon when it came out in 02 it has great sound design too i'll say that i the, when i rewatched it i had my airpods in and um i would say the the sounds of the movie scared me the most on this rewatch um there's some great like cut-ins right before someone dies um there's usually this kind of screaming sound that happens followed by you get to see like this really grotesque uh like def- their their face basically looks kind of deformed the after they die. The quick flashes of those are um, so good because yeah. you're not really sure what you saw. Yeah, and now you're really uneasy. It's super, super. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it again. Yeah, it's funny you brought the Pacific Northwest. That first scene, he she picks him up from school, and then in the car, and it's been raining on the car, and I was like, "Is this Seattle?" And then I think right after that, she's like, "In the Seattle Times." I was like, "Wow, called it." <laughs> but they keep that color. It's like. That's what it's like blue, Mm -hmm. dark blue all the time. That's what the Pacific Northwest looks like. All right. My pick for paranormal. Again, I'm being a little boring, but I I just I am in awe of this film. Every time I watch it, The Exorcist. What an excellent day for an exorcism. You'd like that? Intensely. But wouldn't that drive you out of Reagan? It would bring us together. You and Reagan. You and us. This is the greatest horror film of all time. I will defend that claim fervently. William Freakin, coming off of all of his accolades for The French Connection, makes this film, does so many things ahead of their time. It's still scary. It's still unsettling. I'll never forget the first time I saw it. I think I was like 21, 22, and it stuck with me for years. And I, I, It's not the kind of scary where you go to bed and then you're looking over your shoulder. I don't think, you know, Reagan's not coming to get you, but you're just still so unsettled. Everything about the movie is unsettling. Uh, 
combined with these brilliant things freaking did, these camera shots, the way he had to invent things to do some of these camera shots. But I love the practical effects. And it's funny because they did these effects this way because they had no other choice. But they look better than all the CGI today. Mm-hmm. I mean, 1973, but they figured out a way to make objects fly around. They found a way to make her head turn around. It's they, scarier because it looks like it, it looks actually real. happened. Yeah. yeah. The way she's violently thrashing on the bed. The infamous crucifix scene, which I still don't know how they got away with that in 1973. There's a rumor that they bribed the ratings <laughs> commission to get an R rating. I will say, so once you know how they use the voice actress and how she distorted her voice with cigarettes and raw eggs to do the voiceover work uh, while Reagan, Linda Blair, you know, her mouth is moving. She said the lines, but then they put this voice at her name is Mercedes. um, That was the name of the woman who was the voice actress. It does take a little bit away because the first time you see the movie, you're not expecting this horrific voice to come out of this little girl. Once you know how they did it, it kind of takes away, but it's still just so creepy. And whether you're religious or you're not, it's so ingrained in our culture. So that's going to stick with us in a more real way than Freddy Krueger is. Mm-hmm. I, I just It's kind of like we were talking about with Psycho and everything. There's all this buildup. This is just a family. She's an actress. They're in Georgetown. This is her little girl until you get to the scene where she's like, you're going to die up there and pisses on the floor. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay. And even that's just a little creepy. And it's just not until, I mean, she's slamming on the bed and then the crucifix scene. And I could only imagine what it was like in 1973 to walk out of that theater. Yeah. You heard all the stories of people vomiting in the aisles. <laughs> and uh, it's just, I watched it this weekend and then I watch all the special features because it's just a fascinating piece of cinema history. It's a great mood piece. And I do think the opening in Iraq, um, I think that's where it takes place. Yes. Is- and, and by the way, I watched the Blu-ray copy. That that first like 10 minutes looks fantastic. It, it's go- it, it looks it's, like it came out today. It, it's gorgeous. And I think it's very necessary to set the scene with Pazuzu and you 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 need to understand that this is Pazuzu is not to be fucked with like uh it, it I um I will also say that the exorcist contains a, a scene that if I think too long and hard about it it like it will keep me up at night like the the crab walk down the stairs um is one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen on my television screen. And I, yeah, truly can't imagine what it would have been like to see this movie in the 70s in the theater. What an achievement by William Freakin. 1973 makes a horror film that is still, I mean, just absolutely terrifying people today. Mm-hmm. I mean, the man, his career was quite the roller coaster after that. He had some ups and downs. He made cruising, but then he made To Live and Die in L.A. Um, <laughs> But then he made Jade, but he made two of the greatest films of all time, and The Exorcist is one of them. All right, Chelsea, well, that's all our categories. That was fun. Wow. Setting the mood for you this Halloween. Yeah, I hope we inspired some people to check out something new or different uh, than they may not normally think to put on during uh, 
what what does Hulu want us to call it? Huluween time. (laughs) Well, the best part about this format is we're going to do it again. Next Halloween, we'll have a whole new batch of movies for you in these categories. Uh, Because, I mean, I had some hard choices here Mm -hmm. in some of these categories, but uh, I get to talk about them next time. Yeah. So we're going to close off with some scary movie recommendations. Uh, I will go first. I cut this movie on TV when I was younger. I remember seeing the commercials for it in theaters. It is not well-reviewed. People didn't seem to like it. And I thought it was kind of interesting. It's a movie from 2002 called They. It was produced by Wes Craven. I mean, even on IMDb, I think its star rating is below five, which Mm. I don't know why. The story is there's a group of friends when they're children and they get marked by something. And now they're adults. One of the friends in the group has committed suicide and they go to his house and he's got candles and flashlights everywhere. Well, the story of the movie is these creatures mark you as a child and then they come back for you and as an adult, but they cannot step into the light. So these adults are constantly trying to keep a light around them to keep these creatures away so they don't get them in whatever way you don't really know until a certain point in the movie where it's going. What I like about this movie, and look, it's not amazing, but what I love about it is you never really see the creatures. There's so many scenes where you think you kind of see them, but they never look the same. And it's, it's brilliant. It gives you such a creepy feeling because you're just, you don't know what they look like, but you know, something's coming. And I just thought that was really smart. So I'll give it a two. It's not the exorcist, but (laughs) I, I, I think it's an good, obscure, scary movie that people don't really talk about. So it's called they T H E Y. Like they are coming for us. All right. Um, I'd like to uh, shout out a film that came out in 2019 uh, starring Elijah Wood. It's called Come to Daddy, and it's directed by Ant Timpson. I don't know what this is. You're blowing my mind right now. Oh, it is. Um, Got to say thank you to Brittany. She told me about it. Brittany, who was on our indie film uh, episode, she, um, yeah, she had mentioned it to me. Uh, It took me a little while to finally see it. Once I did, I'm so happy that I saw it because um, it is a quick little synopsis that Elijah Wood, he was raised by his mother. Um, His his father writes him a letter, um, say, like, make amends, want to reach out. It brings Elijah Wood to his father's home. The man who... Oh, I really can't share too much more because there's some great twists. I'm just going to say that his father turns out to not be the fatherly figure he was hoping to find when he shows up there. And um, I I think uh, there's some great drunk acting by Elijah Wood. I, I'm kind of critical of when people act drunk in movies. Like sometimes I think they go too far and it's not believable. I think Elijah Wood does a great job in this movie with some drunk acting. <laughs> um, it's kind of a silly thing to point out. I just think Elijah Wood's got like such a cool he, how he's like wielding his power since uh, playing Frodo and like all the money he made with Lord of the Rings. I think he's putting his money in really interesting and cool projects. And uh, I hope I hope he does more things like Come to Daddy because it was a very inventive and super like beautifully like art directed film too i would say like the production design of it 
great music choices. It was just a cool, fun, indie thriller horror film. Really liked it. And I give it a three. Definitely seek it out. Okie dokie. Well, that's going to do it for this spooky, scary episode of the Marquee Spotlight. Uh, we're going to have some new episodes coming up here soon for November. We are. I know I mentioned we we're going to revisit the 1995 Oscars. Uh, and we put that on the back burner, but it is coming very soon. And I can't wait because I want to rip it apart. Uh, but I think our next episode is going to be Dune. We've got to right. talk about Dune. We've been looking forward to Dune. It's out. We're going to talk about it. Follow us on Twitter, Marquee Spot LT. Follow us on Instagram, the Marquee Spotlight. Uh, we have the email, the Marquee Spotlight at gmail.com. You can send me thoughts, ideas, stuff you want to hear us talk about. And. If you're enjoying the show, tell a friend, write a review, or not. You're an adult. Do what you want. Only leave a five-star review. Or else. We're only accepting five-star reviews. Or else. Or else I'll send you the ring videotape in the mail. Chelsea. And good luck playing it, because who has PCRs <laughs> <anymore>? <laughs> All right. So for the Marquee Spotlight, I am Spencer Bailey. I'm Chelsea Burnett. Trick or treat. Smell my feet. Thank you for listening. The Marquee Spotlight is recorded in Portland, Oregon. Music composed and produced by Josh Colopy. A cover art created by Taylor Engel. Check us out on Twitter for updates regarding new episodes and listen to episodes anywhere podcasts are found.